Welcome to The Big Binge, a new spinoff of The Millennial Falcon, uh, featuring me, Rebecca Fuger, and Willoughby Dobbs talking about the latest TV show that we binged this month. So this is Hui Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film, and joining me are... I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area and co-host of The Millennial Falcon podcast. And I'm Rebecca Fuger, uh, binge washer aficionado, <laughs> and I'm also... In my real life, I'm a designer in New York. All right. So this month, uh, this will be a monthly episode uh, featuring us three college uh, friends and longtime bingers. Uh, Will be in Rebecca especially. I can't really account for <laughs> how much of a binger I am. Uh, so we're going to be doing uh, one season of a TV show uh, per month. And for our first episode... Uh, this is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a period comedy drama television series that was directed by Amy Sherman Palladino of Gilmore Girls fame. And it's starring Rachel Brosnan in the lead role and the titular Mrs. Maisel. Um, it's set, it uh, follows a housewife in, set in 1958, New York City, who discovers she's a knack for stand-up comedy after her life falls apart. Yeah. That's pretty so, much it. Yeah. Good so summary of the first Amazon season. So this is an Amazon Prime series, and it's only had one season so far, and we're going to go into the entire first season in this episode. So first we're going to give our first impressions, and then we're going to go into a deep dive of the show and the first season, talking about its plot, its characters, and uh, how well it works. Um, we might touch on some themes as well. But first of all, Rebecca, what did you think of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yeah, so uh, my first impressions at least, I am totally a sucker for like strong, really engaging female leads. Um, I also do enjoy period pieces. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Mad Men and shows like that. So I was really, really excited for this. I actually did have a side of skepticism. I'm not a huge Amy Sherman Palladino fan. I was never that into Gilmore Girls. I have mixed feelings sort of about her work. Um, but, you know, I saw the trailer. It looked really good. And I really did enjoy it a lot. You know, I think we can pro we'll can probably get into, you know, more our feelings much more in depth. But I thought it was, you know, from start to finish pretty tight. Um, I think the acting, especially from Rachel Brosnan and, um, Alec, um, Alex Borstein, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Alex Borstein. Um, <laughs> my, uh, notes left here pulled up, um, was so strong and, you know, I was just really, every time they were on screen, I just wanted more and more of that. And even the supporting characters, um, you know, I still enjoy seeing, you know, I liked having that balance of her home life and her professional life. I overall really enjoyed it. And uh, Willoughby, what you? about you? I also really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching this show. Um, full disclosure, I have never seen an episode of Gilmore Girls at all. So, like, I am completely, or Bunheads, so I'm completely unfamiliar with Amy Sherman Palladino's work. But I've heard good things about Gilmore Girls, and I've heard good things about Bunheads. And I was hearing good things about the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel before we did this, we uh, we all watched it together. Um, I really liked the way this show was filmed. Um, it's got a lot, it's got a lot of energy to it. The camera work is always it, the camera is very particular in which it's either 
always moving or it's a very slow one take scene in which it's just two characters talking to each other for a really long time, but it's captivating. Um, and I really like how it kind of is, it, it dovetails in with like the first season of Mad Men in terms of like New York in the, in the late 1950s and early 1960s, like that style and like everything that's going on. So I was like getting Mad Men vibes from that. I really liked the acting. I think her, uh, her parents were amazing. Um, Mrs. Maisel's parents were great. Um, her husband was a total jerk, and I loved how great he was as as that. He was um, an amazing jerk, yeah. And um, the her friends that she ends up uh, having in the uh, department store, I thought they were great. I thought the whole her whole plot arc and like just the whole um, well, we're gonna get into the plot, but just her whole arc was great, and I really loved the the final scene of the whole the first season it was kind of like the culmination of everything that was leading up to it um and i really yeah and the 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 complicated friendship between um midge and uh susie was her first name yeah susie midge and susie they were great together like like rebecca was saying like every time they were on screen they just lit up this the 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 room and they were fantastic and i love how complicated and complex and well written their friendship was because it wasn't just like two friends trying to live it together like they you know they each need each other in ways so it was very fun very cool i really liked the show so i'm kind of between you guys uh in terms of what i came into expecting this because i had seen gilmore girls and was okay with it I enjoyed the first season but then it became bogged down in sort of love triangles and romances um, but I really enjoyed the witty dialogue and the um, really smart writing that Amy Sherman Palladino brings to her shows so I was excited about that but Marvelous Mrs. Maisel did actually catch me by surprise it came highly recommended from a lot of my friends and I didn't really know what to expect um, I don't know a lot about like the stand-up comedy history and scene and I was just kind of, um, I was sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I want to say, I was lukewarm. I was lukewarm to Amy Sherman Palladino. And, but I was very impressed by Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I lo- loved Rachel Bo- Brosnahan in the role. She surprised me because um, last time I saw her was as Rachel in House of Cards, and she was completely phenomenal in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She was funny, she was witty, and she had that really funny um, sort of New York accent that she really yeah. that she brought on along really well. Uh, Tony Shalhoub is great. All the characters are good, although I did think that the show focused a little too much on Joel, her husband. Oh, I'm sure um, we'll so get I, into that even more. Yes, I have feelings sometimes, too. Yeah, I sometimes derailed the show a little bit because I really like the sort of feminist, female-centric story that it was up until it kind of tried to balance her and Joel's storylines equally. But um, it was fun. And Mad Men was a show that I wasn't quite fond of either. So something that's completely ruled by aesthetic is not a show that that will win me over immediately. But I did like the look of this show a lot especially Maisel's Midge's outfits yeah they were well I was gonna say so good yeah the other thing I really noticed too is how like so like beautifully retro it kind of is like maybe just Mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna put on my designer hat for a second and just like the color palette 
that we saw and you know just yeah the uh fashion choices everything is just like what you would see like in a great magazine from like the 1950s or you know like it's kind of like the best of like any kind of retro aesthetic it's just always it's so like it's not overly cutesy but it's not like it still has that like really nice like polished like innocent charm that you could kind of associate with the 50s and, and then you take you, you take midge and you take her out of the upper west side and you bring her down to brooklyn yeah. and you bring her down to other parts of the the of new york city and you see you know kind of like the other side of the 1950s that you don't normally see portrayed mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It didn't try to go go too gritty, but it wasn't afraid to show diversity and yeah. how New York really was, which I was happy about as well. I really so, like the oh, all the, all the all the act the different acts that they showcased in like the Gaslight, mm-hmm. and like you know the the variety and diversity of those acts, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was really capturing that you know iconic New York scene that you know everyone just talks about in that time from mm-hmm. the village. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> which obviously. It's not really a thing anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, probably not. So why don't we go into our deep dive of the different aspects of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Let's go first into the characters, because they are really the selling point for the series. So first up, Midge. I really love Midge. She is such a well-written, great character who, you know is presented as a genius comedian, yes, and you can see that she's funny. I'm always really nervous when showrunners and show creators are writing like comedian characters because you never know if they'll actually be funny, as funny as the show or the other characters are telling you. But Midge is, as um, she's played by Rachel Brosnahan Brosnahan and written by, I don't know if Amy Sherman Palladino wrote her scenes, but written by the writers. Yeah, she wrote every episode, if not. Yeah, she at least, I think, has a co-writing credit on all of them, um, yeah. if not a full writing credit. Uh, all, actually, I have the notes left here now. Uh, all except one. Uh, episode six was uh, Mr. X at the Gaslight, which was written mm. by Sheila R. Lawrence. Okay. And then other ones are either written by Amy Sherman Palladino or Daniel Palladino or both of them. All right. Well, written by them, she really yeah. shines as a good competent comedian who mm-hmm. you can see is rough around the edges at the yeah. beginning and it's really great to see her growth yeah it's and... great to see um like her offstage ability mm-hmm. to write jokes and like how she was even you know so serious about joel's own stand-up career at before you know everything goes to hell with them that you know she's the one who's coming up with her own material and she's the obviously you know making the moves with the brisket and everything but like she has that notebook and she's really you know i think um was it when, like, there's that scene, that great scene with the, there's, like, holes in his sweater, mm. and she, like, makes a joke about it that just is, like, offhanded, and she just, and it's, like, funny in the moment, and he tries to replicate it in the stand-up act, and it just does not work at all. Mm-hmm. So you can, like, see that she, uh, yeah, is just a naturally funny person. Even. And, like, yeah. her, her opening monologue it, at her wedding, mm-hmm. I think, really set the tone for her right. comedy, like, the, like, uh, when I watched that, I was like, oh, okay, we're this is the type of show we're getting. And I really, I was really excited for that because I was like, this is going to be fun. It's going to be her, you know, delivering monologues and jokes and like, you know, one-liners and everything. And, and she really soars when she's not like under pressure, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that you get to see her growth not only as a comedian, but as a woman living in the 1950s. Yeah. Because you see at the beginning of the series she's that super she super really, buys into she, the... Yeah 
supportive wife role and like measuring herself and the, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, the taking off all of her makeup after her husband falls asleep and like putting on her like night mask and then like Mm -hmm. doing, you know, fixing it all before he wakes up in the morning. Yeah. And she's really content to do that until, you know, he leaves her for a secretary and she's left to fend on her own. And even though she has her parents who are as equally as traditionally minded, she starts to find her own way because of just like a one drunken comedy night. And it's so interesting to see her start to realize that this is not the only path set out for her. And she becomes a more interesting and complex person and a more, I dare I say, woke person in the process. <laughs> I, I think you can definitely say that. <laughs> um do we want to move on to the other characters, or yeah, let's go. Let's go uh, on to um, Joel, the other. Or actually, let's go to Susie first before I get Su- to Joel. Yeah, yeah. Susie always before Joel. Yeah, <laughs> Susie um, is great. She's the best. Um, mm. I don't have. It's hard. I think um, in other podcasts I've listened to, they've always like reviewing shows. They always say it's hard to talk about like someone who's just like genuinely good or like a show that's genuinely good all the time because there's it's hard to like pick apart their characters she's just she's just great from start to finish <laughs> I don't know, we'll have it. no i agree i mean i think that alex borstein this is alex borstein's like best role like she's primarily known for family guy for mad tv for like various like character roles Mm-hmm. This one's just probably, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with a lot of her work, but this is probably, yeah, one of her more dimensional roles, I would venture to guess, based yeah. on uh, filmography. Like, I've never seen her give this much emotion in, like, any of her roles and stuff. This is definitely the most, like, complicated character she's ever played. And I think it's, yeah. uh, what she does is great. I was really worried at first that she would come off as a really flat, almost archetypal character who's only there to, you know, act really briskly against Midge yeah. and urge her on to her uh, comedy career but she has her own arc as well she struggles with being Midge's manager and being Midge's friend too because that's something that's really new to her and dealing with more feminine emotions as well so I like that she has her own arc yeah that balancing act is really interesting to see and sort of how you know excited she even like it seemed like before Midge in a lot of ways yeah she was acting really briskly and then when she saw Midge's talent and potential you know I feel like there was definitely something (laughs) you know, awaken within her too. And just seeing her get really excited about something and passionate and like working really, really hard to, and just and then being so hurt and angry when Mitch kind of backs away after a while. Mm-hmm. I would like to see in future seasons for Susie to get more of her own story that doesn't revolve around Mitch though, because yeah. for now she is very much uh, attached to Mitch's role right. and Mitch's arc. Yeah, it's a lot of, um, you know, in scenes where she wasn't where Midge wasn't in the scene with her was always about like getting work for Midge and like figuring Mm -hmm. out what to do for Midge it's almost like the like the the class not classic but uh the more uh usual um male female relationship where like it like if if Midge was a was a guy like the Susie character would like her character is own like only exists because of Midge. So like it kind of flips that script because it's like they're two two female characters. But mm-hmm. I would I do agree that I think it would be it'd be cool to see Susie maybe take on like a couple more clients and see how like she branches out and like deals with other people who aren't Midge. 
And I do like I do like the little scene she has where she's like with other like comedy managers and bookers who who she's trying to get like gigs for Midge and stuff. So so I think she has a, a really interesting dynamic with all the other characters. But like you guys are right, like her arc only revolves around Midge. I don't think there's a single scene where, except for the first episode where she's dealing with the gaslight before Midge is a, com- a comedian. You know, everything else is about Midge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But speaking about characters who aren't about all about Midge, uh, let's talk about Joel. Yeah, and, and speaking of characters who we want to see less of. <laughs> yeah, we saw a lot of Joel. In fact, I feel like the show was trying to present him as like the counterpoint to Midge, which didn't really make sense to me because he was a much less interesting character than Midge and Susie. Yeah, and they like combined. Uh, Go on, Willoughby, sorry. I was just going to say that Dan Palladino was writing those episodes. <laughs> Reminds me of in The Handmaid's Tale when we see, like, the other side of... Yeah, and you're just the, like, I don't With the husband. Care. I'm like, yeah. I don't care about the husband. I don't want to know how, like, he went through immigration services in Canada. So yeah, that's like, not yeah. the story. When mm-hmm. I heard about the show and I heard that, oh, it starts with her husband leaving her and she fends for herself... I thought Joel was only going to be in, like, the first couple episodes. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't – and maybe show up at the end. I wasn't expecting him to have, like, arcs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the actor – I can't remember his name. He's competent, but I just think his – Okay, yeah. Michael Zegan. Yeah, you're right. I just think that his character wasn't strong enough to carry a whole sort of arc about he doesn't know what he wants to do. Now he's on – he's out on the – with his parents again, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. I I think he was trying to, yeah, yeah, I think he was trying to establish a sort of like that Jewish family dynamic. We already see so much of it with Midge that I feel like we don't need it. Yeah, I, Mm. I tend to agree. I was, I thought they did a really good job, at least initially of like showing him as just like the worst basically, or like, you know, Obviously, the scene when he's leaving her and he's like, well, you're going to tell your parents, are you? Like, he's just, like, irredeemably terrible and obviously showing that he's basically a comedic hack. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought they did a good job of just, like, making him terrible. And then so, you know, I guess this is a spoiler-filled uh, episode um, for sure. But, like, when, you know, they basically kind of reconcile in the last part. I was like, what are you doing? You're doing so much better without him. And you don't need him. And like, you know, I kind of enjoyed seeing his downward spiral, I guess, just to laugh at him. But I didn't think it was like necessarily needed. Yeah, I agree. I think that just the his whole arc was supplementary to the main plot. And I understand that, you know, to to fill like an hour's worth of time, but I think they could have done other things. They could have done a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually more interested in the parents uh, played by Tony Shalhoub and uh, who played the mom. Um, Uh, Was it? Marin Hinkle? Marin Hinkle? Yes. Um, Tony Shalhoub was great in this show. He was so good. He was so good. He's always great, but he was so funny. Um, I really like the dynamic between Midge and her parents and at first I thought it was it would be typical sort of patriarchal dynamic but you find that Tony Shalhoub's character her dad really does respect her and her decisions even if he wants her to follow like the more conventional path in life just because that's the only path really that they know for women 
And even though her mom comes off as slightly hysterical at times, she is also incredibly compassionate. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of like nuances uh, with those with their parents and with her relationship with those parents with her parents that like start to emerge throughout the episodes, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I agree. I thought her yeah initially when I was watching it, it was like the scene when she like comes down to tell her parents that you know, Joel left and her mom just starts like running around the room, like crying. And (laughs) I was like, okay, like I get it. That's probably very upsetting news, but okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought, I wish I remembered every little part of their interactions. That's definitely the part that didn't stick with me as much as I wanted it to, even though I Mm -hmm. did enjoy it. There was a lot more dimensionality than, um, you know, you initially kind of see in the first part, you know, even though they, only you know even though there's like silly parts of like her mom visiting the psychic and like her dad just like being very like you know all business motivated and you know not showing a lot of emotion there's all those like really sweet scenes of just you know underneath it all they do really care about Midge and they're just seem like they're just genuinely it seemed um you know there were moments when it would sort of seem like she is kind of like not would they even be able to understand if she um told them about her career at all or you know that she was trying to find like her own path and I feel like sometimes she didn't give them all that much credit mm-hmm. <laughs> Willby, do you have anything you want to add about her parents um just pretty much the same things that you guys are saying um I really like Tony Shalhoub his character was like probably like the standout supporting character I think besides Susie um because I think that he he brings a lot of complex emotion and vulnerability to his mm-hmm character because you think he's going to be like a patriarchal dad um but then you see that he's just trying to like keep his family together yeah Yeah, he's just doing what he knows basically Mm -hmm. all right um let's get into the plot of the of the season and the arcs that go through it um it's a pretty short season it's only eight episodes long uh which is a good amount for um binging like on digital series, uh, Netflix used to have 13 order ep- seasons, but then they started slimming it down because the ongoing Netflix problem was that they would try to stretch out what should have been like a two-hour movie over the course of 13 episodes. So we would have a big mm-hmm. sort of um, s- like sluggish part in the middle. Eight episodes yeah. seems to be a really good choice, I think, for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Although I felt like often there were some plot threads hanging from episode to episode that never never really got resolved. Yeah, well, actually, one thing before I kind of lost my thought a little was I was wanted to talk about um, the, like, weird, the Chikov's, like, arrest uh, reveal mm-hmm. where, like, um, yeah, like, her dad finds out about her arrest and he just, and they never really get confronted. So I assume they're probably, it'll come back in the second season, but I was sort of surprised that that was never really fully revisited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like Joel's work was never really fully established as, like, a thing. Like, I guess it was just, like, a place setting to put him during the day, but it just seemed like the part where he's like, I quit at the end. I was like, okay. They were trying so, to do yeah. a sort of Mad Men-style arc for him, and it didn't work because we weren't invested, one, and two, it was not interesting he's like a worse written p campbell yeah yeah exactly (laughs) basically um but i did like how every episode was self-contained 
that was good. I read somewhere that every episode of, Miss, of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel kind of runs like a play. There's a beginning, middle, and end to each yeah. um, little story that you tell in between. And while there's like a running through line, it's good television in that you don't have to, you know, drag out the story and wait a long time to find out what happens at the end. And there are parts that I wouldn't say drag, but you can tell they're saving for like seasons to come because we never see Marvel, uh, Marvel, <laughs> uh, Midge. Midge. Midge reveal. The Freudian slip. Yeah, exactly. Midge reveal to her parents or to, well, Joel finds out in the end, but she never re- reveals to her parents that she's uh, going the comedy route. And Joel doesn't find out to the end by accident. And that's sort of. Yeah, that's a Chekhov's gun waiting to go off. Yeah, oh, yeah. the emotional climax out. of the finale. Oh, yeah. So it seems they're going the long route, which is good, I think, because it gives time for Midge to establish herself as a comedian and everything. And I. I was a little frustrated at the beginning when she had such a great start and then basically didn't get on stage again for another two or three episodes. But it was about finding herself too, which made sense to me afterwards. Yeah, definitely. I also liked that. Well, like there were parts, yeah, where like I liked showing, seeing her comedic journey and also that like watching her bomb was such an interesting like thing to see because we see her so capable in kind of a lot of ways. Not invulnerable, but, you know, she, like, takes things so well. And you could tell even, like, how important the comedy was to her and how she did really feel like this is, you know, the first time she's doing something where she feels really invested in something. Because watching her bomb was so, it was so hard. Obviously, she didn't get back for a while. I'm also someone who just cannot watch, like, bad stand-up comedy. If I, like, go to an open mic night and someone is doing stand-up, I, like, have to leave because I just can't (laughs) watch it. Because, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it's too uncomfortable. I had to pause that scene several times because I was so – I had so much secondhand embarrassment. I get really bad secondhand embarrassment. There was so much cringe. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, you could just see, like – and, you know, everyone's had that feeling, even if you're not doing stand-up, of, like, you know, you're, like, doing a presentation or whatever, like – and you just, like, can tell that you're going off track but you don't know how to stop it and you're just like, oh, no. Like, you – and – you could just, and I thought Rachel Brosnan actually did a really good job of like showing just like that complete, like, you know, how much that really did like devastate and disappoint her. And, you know, that made her obviously retreat into something that made her more comfortable. Which I have mixed feelings that sometimes my one kind of complaint about Midge, even though I love her and I think she's great, I felt kind of like there were parts like at the party and stuff where everyone's just so captivated with her. And, like, her, um, like, stories and her talent. Though they were funny and I definitely laughed. It felt kind of like she was, like, it was felt like she was, was, they were almost a little bit too pleased with the character sometimes. Mm -hmm. That was sort of my one major kind of. I felt like the show uh, towed that line. It was in danger of having her be too, like, contrived and everything and be too talented. But. I think but having I, her bomb early on did help. Her, yeah. yeah the sh- and that they showed her, yeah, bomb at least a few times and, you know, really had like a hard time, you know, just ha- taking that kind of um, major professional setback was good to see. So I, it didn't like totally ruin it for me, but there were parts where I was like, okay, like it's a little, <laughs> then, like it got a much for me in some parts. Yeah. I like that they showed her like holding her craft, like, like that montage yeah. of her like do, oh, doing like the same stand up bit like over really and good. over again and then like yeah. toning and tweaking and... it yeah. yeah yeah and as a from like a writer perspective like you know I'm not really I'm not a professional writer or anything but like 
from what I've like read in interviews, I think, um, like kind of, I remember reading about, I was really into like the 30 rock versus like studio 60 on the sunset strip, like, uh, you know, con like issue and, um, how much 30 rock prevailed compared to studio 60 that like, you know, studio 60 was always trying to like write the comedy and like make the comedy really, really, really outstanding. And like 30 rock didn't care about that. And it just showed like how hard it is to like write comedy when like writing comedy within comedy, essentially, I guess that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, I was really into that montage of like, you know, thinking about being in the writer's room, like, okay, we need to like come up with like these three, like really solid punchlines. And like, they all have to be like, as funny, like they have to be funnier than the next one, but they all have to be pretty funny. I, I appreciate that kind of just like, I don't know, I think writing comedy about comedy is really hard. Personally. Yeah, the transparency it, it, of it. It yeah. shows Midge going from being like an off the cuff comedian, like get, you know, getting a little drunk and just talking to like, sitting down and like writing jokes and like mm -hmm. really thinking about what she wants to say because you know she I think there was like the first time she bombed she wasn't prepared yeah it's like well, after she... that she prepared yeah mm -hmm. I liked I was reading up on uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and the influences it drew from especially from uh stand-up comedian female stand-up comedians of the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. and there was a really interesting article that talked about um Jane, Joan Rivers, for one, was a huge influence oh my God. on the show. Yeah. And I was looking up her old stand-up. It's so it's good. It's really funny. It's actually quite similar to the kind of stand-up that Midge does, which is yeah. like crass and very sexual but um, and like very self-deprecating and everything like that yeah. and sort of more modern than like the other female comedians who often did sort of like fat jokes and other sort of like – Yeah, which – you know, there's that whole storyline, too. Mm -hmm. if we want to get into that a little bit. I thought that was super interesting. And, like, Jane Lynch did. I didn't recognize Jane Lynch, actually, initially. Oh, yeah, because yeah, she had the whole outfit. But, yeah, there was yeah. an interesting distinction drawn between, like, broad comedy versus the stand-up comedy that you see um, performed by Midge and others in the gaslight and everything. Yeah. So Definitely. that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, – and just like seeing the difference even in comedy that was may have been more popular now. I think I was reading like a um, summary or like, you know, a recap or something of one of the episodes. And um, someone was like, um, I don't remember uh, Jane Lynch's name off the top of my head in the show. But um, they're like, she wouldn't last a day in the 2017 comedy scene. <laughs> you know, like how much certain comedy goes out of style. And actually like Midge's and Joan Rivers kind of style of comedy, at least back then, it actually like is surprisingly modern. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it translates really, really well. All right. Let's um, go into some of the problems with the show, maybe critiques that we have. I actually want to touch on something that Rebecca was saying earlier about how sometimes the writers just seem very happy with the character. And I did, th I do think that Amy Sherman Palladino has a tendency to write like she's very pleased with herself. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'm very smart. Kind of like Aaron Sorkin. Witty. Yeah, very Aaron. It's yeah. an Aaron Sorkin style of writing, just kind of like thinking they're the smartest person in the room kind of thing. Yeah. And but I don't think that Miss Marvelous Mrs. Maisel suffers from that quite as much as maybe Gilmore Girls does. But there are moments where I'm just like, okay, maybe like step it down a little bit. Yeah, I, like that like, I, I think it was good that they showed her fail mm -hmm. and have her yeah. build herself back up because otherwise it would have been that problem very And not only like seeing her fail, but then like 
seeing her really suffer from that failure, I think, like, the fact that she didn't go right back to doing it, you know, and that she cared, that she, um, cared so much about the craft and like it sort of I felt like it was almost maybe self-referential in a way that like oh she always you know had good luck with sort of things and she never had any kind of troubles with you know her either whether it's her comedy or you know kind of convincing people of her you know charmingness so so you could tell something that she took super duper hard and the fact that I think also like not only did she not did she fail, but she actually was like basically considering giving up. I thought was an interesting um, take on it. Not like she wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna get right back up there. Like mm-hmm. it was obvious that it was like something she took really hard. Yeah, I also do wish that there was somewhat more of a conflict or like some sort of a growth that you see from her becoming a more like obedient housewife to becoming the more independent woman she is and while her transformation isn't quite complete yet because she does consider and wants to go back to Joel at the end there is a sort of um disparity between like oh you know she was always kind of independent so you don't you kind of expect her to be independent immediately but you know at the same time there's no transition from when she's like oh expecting just to be a housewife her whole life and then that step that she makes to becoming more independent it's kind of just like yeah it was kind of seamless yeah it's almost a little too seamless like accepted into the show immediately and there are some sort of artificial struggles where she's like I have to get a job I have to do this and that but at the same time she never really seems she just kind of seems to barrel through there never seems to be any doubts or regrets on her part except for maybe when Joel is involved. And Joel is, yeah. a, is, a, is a rough sort of symbol of her, of her old life. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, my heart was breaking slightly. And I think it was the last episode, and they do reconcile. And then she starts, like, measuring herself again and, mm-hmm. like, doing the whole, like, face thing. And then I thought the, the very silly, like, when they're hooking up and, like, she – she like has to tell him like oh I kind of like unhooked my bra like a lot of times for you like that she was like I was happy that she was being more honest with him but then I was also like no like you're backsliding you're regressing and maybe that's not a bad thing narratively speaking or like that you know it makes sense for her character and the time that she's in but it felt like why like you don't need to yeah like if you think like Joel like what her life before Joel she was comfortable you know she she never seemed like she didn't want to be in that life and when Joel left like she had to figure out what she wanted to do and I do think like her like having to move out of her house and having to find a job like especially the job part I don't know if she had to find a job because I think she was just she just didn't she just have to live with her parents yeah because she wanted um, to have her own income mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah that's true well like um because I guess Joel was always making it like he would definitely support the kids and I guess her by extension, but then wasn't there, there was the plot thread of like, he doesn't really have any money himself or like the job that he has is like all through nepotism essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, she didn't really, and obviously she's always grown up super well off. So I don't think money was ever like a problem, but I feel like they kind of sh- should have showed that like earlier on that, like, you know, she was having like some struggles or like she, um, you know, it just didn't seem like she did eventually obviously get a job, but it was 
isn't like an immediate thing, which I felt like it probably should have been more. Yeah. So do you guys have any other sort of critiques of the first season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I think Um, it drags a little bit in terms of plot. mm -hmm. Just, you know, like kind of like from moment, like from episode to episode, there are times where I'm just going, where is this going? Um, But not in a super bad way. Like, like I'm intrigued, obviously, but just like it kind of suffers from being a binge type show you know like house of cards and stuff where you know kind of in the middle it gets a little a a little soupy where you're not sure like like i couldn't tell you episode by episode happens Mm -hmm. but i can tell you like the overarching arc of the of the season which i think as a eight episode show that's a success like you could point a to point b you're good to go but everything between point a and b it's a little difficult like she struggles and and like Like, whereas, like, earlier with Mad Men, like, Mad Men has very specific episodes in which you can remember, like, the titles and remember the plots of, like, each, like, like very, like, specific shows. But these are also different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but I think that there are, it, it does suffer from that binge mode of, like, if you, especially if you watch it, like, all at once, you kind of just. Yeah. Whoa. I have a question. Did you, did you binge Mad Men? Me? Yeah. I watched it originally. I, I, I binged the first four seasons to catch up when the fifth season premiered. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the fifth, six, six, and seven parts one and two of seven season live. Mm-hmm. So like, and then I, and then earlier this, back in 2017, I did a full rewatch of every oh. episode as a binge. And uh, I actually read Matt Zeller Seitz's uh, Mad Men recap book in which he took all his Vulture articles and put them in a book and did like a, like read his recap after each episode. So it kind of broke it down and that was very helpful. Um, so did, but, when you were watching, when you're binging the first time, did each episode really stand out to you? Or do you think that like this is a product of like everything blending together? Is that a product of binging or do you think it's like on the, sh- the show itself? Um, with Mad Men, it was a bit of just marathoning mm-hmm. was a bit of a, a blur because the other thing with Mad Men is that it, it's not very plot heavy. Um, it's very character driven. So like you can kind of not know what happens in an episode, but also know, but knows, what ha- but know what happens to the characters, if that makes any sense. Um, so I, I just think, but I think with Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, I think that it does, it, it's not bad. Like it's not house of cards bad with, with its like binge mode. But I definitely think it does suffer a little bit. Like I did kind of lose the plot a little bit. I but think it from wasn't, episode no. to episode, it does have trouble compelling you to want to see what happens next. So mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, it didn't really end, end in a lot of like big like moments or like cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. There were a few, but like they kind of... I did like that each episode was kind of almost like a mini movie or play, as yeah. um, you said earlier. But... um you know, I, yeah, like, I had a sort of similar problem with Willoughby, like, I'm very confident in, like, the pilot in the last episode, and yeah. then, like, little bits in between, like, I have, like, a couple episode summaries, like, pulled up so I could, like, refer to what happened, but I, after, like, beyond the summary, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, that did happen, but then, I'm like, what happened after that? Like, what, I couldn't, like, pick out specific scenes necessarily that happened in each episode. Mm-hmm. Like, with Midge, I pretty much know what happens, but with her parents complete and and with joel right that gets real difficult to remember Mm -hmm. right like i remember yeah her dad has this whole like 
job plot and everything. And then, you know, but like for me, I'm even having a hard time recalling like what was her mom's big like central story. Did was, her mom relate a storyline? It was with the gypsy right, because she kept trying to yeah. go see a seer. Yeah, I remember that. But I was like, was there anything else to that? And then mm. I remember how bummed out she was when there was the normal different. seer that she saw was different. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I actually had I had a little minor gripe too. Mm. Um, it's kind of one off, but um, I kind of been interested to see um, what you guys thought about it. The sort of insertion of um, famous people or like kind of notable events, particularly Lenny Bruce in like a period piece. I always kind of feel weird. I felt it felt kind of weird to me and like almost gimmicky. It's like, oh, here's Lenny Bruce appearing to give her comedic advice, even though yeah. like, even yeah, though that it's perfectly feel a that way. reasonable that he would be around, but it just seemed like, oh, here's this like really famous comedian, like taking an interest in her. How lucky for her kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, a little, con- a little contrived. Yeah, yeah, I had a little problem with that. And I was kind of thinking when you were talking about Mad Men, I thought Mad Men really handled, they were really good at putting in, um, you know, timely things that were happening within that, you know, within the episode, like um, MLK getting assassinated or the Kennedy assassination, obviously. And I think the Richard Speck murders usually really gruesome, awful things that happened in that time. Um, but like, it never felt like it was sort of intruding on the episode or it wasn't like they were winking at the camera so much. And I felt like this was more of a wink that I didn't really like as much. Yeah. yeah. Lenny Bruce was definitely a little bit uh, stretching <laughs> the limits of the show. But I do think I was reading, I was reading an article about Mrs. Maisel and they uh, explained the insertion of Lenny Bruce by saying that when Joan Rivers was a struggling stand-up comedian, he gave her, the real Lenny Bruce gave her some like similar advice as well because they're like, oh, what would be the reason for Lenny Bruce to just come out of nowhere and give this nobody some advice yeah. and comedy? But they're like, it kind of happened in real life, so we're just going to put it in this story. So I, it, it is yeah, a little bit it, loose, but it kind of makes sense. And I hope yeah. that it's not too like in your face. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mind that it, I guess it happened. I don't know. I just felt like having like – Oh, Lenny Bruce, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're just like, okay, like, I, I get it. But it was, it was a lot. And then what was kind of, this isn't a complaint, but it was just a sidebar nation that, um, like, just them constantly getting thrown in jail all the time seems sort of insane. I guess it's the Hayes Code, but <laughs> that just seems like a crazy thing to keep happening just by, like, saying obscene things. Yeah, like all the decency stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I guess that kind of makes sense. I don't know much about the decency laws back then, but, yeah, yeah. it would probably be about, about yeah. that case. Besides, I think yeah. public exposure probably would definitely get her thrown in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would make – that made perfect sense, mm-hmm. but – um. I think there was the, this might, I just did a project on um, Mae West, who was kind of, this is more involved than you need to be, but basically she was kind of, a little before this as a comedian and um, performer, she got thrown in jail a lot. For, she got thrown in jail at least once for um, obscenity. <laughs> and I think she said it would, had a lot to do with like the Hayes Code and like kind of what you were allowed to say and not say in like a performative setting. Mm. She actually decided to go to jail instead of pay a fine because it would be good for publicity. <laughs> That sounds like Mae West. I like her a lot. Good. I love her. She's great. But um, yeah, I just that was always like, wow, they just like could arrest people for just saying things. And obviously, that's how she met Lenny Bruce. And he, he was arrested constantly. Yeah, that was a, an accurate part of his history. Yeah. Um, so what 
let's move on to the future of Mar- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, it recently won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy, and Rachel Brosnahan won uh, Best Actress in a Comedy. And I don't know if Amazon Prime has greenlit it for a second season. I, I believe it, it has. I believe it has, yes. I can, try, I can try to double check that if you want me to, but I believe it has We're going to assume it has and say, and I'm going to ask you guys, what would you want to uh, the show to do in its second season? Venture outside of New York a little more. Maybe take her on the road or even do just more, maybe like more of the tri-state area. Just, um, I mean, I love the New York aesthetic of 1950s and 60s, but like definitely like get Midge out of New York and start, you know, maybe go go on a couple states tours or something. Yeah, it would be interesting to see her take her act, yeah, like outside of the New York scene and see how it would translate. Yeah, which could be a very interesting plot development because she'd have to like change her act for whatever state she's in or whatever town she's in yeah i would definitely like to see more references to the history of stand-up comedy because that was an aspect that really interested me not knowing it uh much myself and the as the domestic drama like even though the domestic drama holds up I would rather see more of Midge's professional side over her personal life, even though I know they're both equally important to the show. Um, but I but think... I, I think... Oh, go ahead. No, I, yeah, I was just, just going to say, I think the history of stand-up comedy and like the sort of references they pull from stand-up comedians at the time would be really interesting to see on screen. But I, what I liked about the final scene was Joel recognizing that she's good. Mm-hmm. And she announcing her to her to the world who she is, like the whole the whole fake name thing was a very interesting. I was like, okay, so they're, she's gonna like at the end announce herself as Mrs. Maisel because that's what the show is called. It's her um, Iron so Man moment. It's her. It is yeah, her Iron a great, Man moment. Yeah, this is her origin story. It's her, the season one is her origin story. So I and I think that she chose in that moment when she announced herself, she chose professional life over personal life. Mm. So I think it's. Gonna I think be, that's definitely a that's a really good point that's a good point yeah so that season two it's going to be her focusing on her professional life and then having to deal with her personal life Mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna piggyback on you guys a little bit i want to see kind of yeah her sort of growing her professional uh stand-up comedy act i kind of would like to see her um they kind of show it in the first season but i want to see more of it as kind of her act to me sort of seems much more modern. And obviously as a woman in uh, comedy, even now that's like not a common thing. And I'd like to kind of see her sort of butt up against kind of like that establishment comedy um, sort of industry and world and see kind of how like that gets dealt with um, both like as a woman and kind of the different, her sort of different comedic style that she you know, is yeah, not doing broad character driven comedy and how she sort of pulls, you know, yeah, pulling from her personal life. Um, so, and also, of course, I'd want to see more Susie and less Joel. <laughs> Definitely. All right. I think that's a good way to wrap up our episode about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. If you enjoyed this uh, episode of The Big Binge, this be the first of many, we will soon have our first. Uh, our own Twitter and Facebook, but for now you can check us out at Willby. Please say the uh, please do the usual. the usual, yeah. 
So right, yeah, right now we don't have social media accounts for the big binge, but you can um, find us on Facebook at the Millennial Falcon Podcast, as well as at Falcon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, the blog for the Millennial Falcon Podcast is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And the best part is, right now, this podcast is on the same RSS feed. So if you're already a subscriber to the Millennial Falcon, you're listening to this episode. (laughs) Um, And so where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Rebecca Fuger. Uh, Fuger is spelled F as in Frank, U-G-E-R on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us on our binge, guys. Bye. Bye.